What up, what up, what up? Happy to be back here on a nice sunny Wednesday. Um, here with another episode of the pod. Lots to talk about today. Going to start by talking about KD meeting with Nets owner Joe Sy this week and basically figuring out his final destination here um, in the next couple of weeks. Also going to touch on Westbrook and the Lakers and how LeBron fits into all this. And then we're going to transition to the big NFL news of the day. The Miami Dolphins scandal, after a six-month investigation, has finally come to a close. Uh, for better or for worse, we'll get into all the details about that and give you my my hot takes about that situation. And at the end, we'll answer some fan mail. Been getting a lot of questions about the Cowboys wide receiver room, so we'll go into that as well. And also a couple of questions about OBJ and will he be with the Rams when healthy? Looks like his timetable's somewhere in the winter or you know late October, November area. Um, but it is his second ACL on the same knee, so you never know, can a guy come back and be as explosive? But we'll talk destinations and outlook for OBJ as well. So let's dive on right in. So we'll start with the Kevin Durant saga, so to speak, meeting with the owner Joe Sy this week to basically decide the fate of Kevin Durant and the fate of the franchise. Um, this could really play out one of two ways, right? But before we dive into those scenarios, you really have to basically go back in the past and kind of analyze and recognize who Kevin Durant is, right? Coming out of Texas as the number two pick, um, a famous or infamous draft um, after Greg Oden went one, the big prospect out of college, and we all know how that worked out with injuries. And Kevin Durant really, um, you know, coming as the second pick is definitely one of the worst whiffs on a number one pick that I can remember in the history of the league. Uh, he comes into the league with Oklahoma City, obviously tears it up with Russ and Harden. They have a good, whatever it was, seven, eight years there. Almost got a title. Uh, they were always competitive, had a great core as well. Um, and then I don't blame him, honestly, for leaving, especially now that we've kind of realized the game is trending away from Russ. And I can imagine playing with him was much more difficult than Kevin Durant has ever led us to believe. And he goes over to Golden State, right? Um, joins basically this super team after LeBron basically beats the Warriors in the finals that year. Draymond goes out in the parking lot right after the game, basically FaceTimes Kevin Durant and begs him. And then you have Curry and all them flying over to Long Island to convince Kevin Durant to join. He joins. The rest is history, right? They light it up, rob LeBron of some more rings. KD gets multiple finals, MVPs, multiple rings. And we thought, you know, that was the perfect harmony and they would just dominate the league for the next, you know, seven to eight years. But Kevin Durant, uh, at that time, I believe, felt he had something to prove, right? Um, I think he was getting a lot of heat for basically not being able to do it in Oklahoma City and going to basically already an established championship team with the Warriors and multiple superstars and basically jumping on board with them and cashing in rings. Uh, not to negate or belittle his contributions to that team. Obviously, he was one of the main engines of their championships during that run, and I'm not so sure the Warriors could have gotten past LeBron um, you know, for the title without him during those years, specifically when LeBron was still in the peak of his powers. But Kevin, for better or for worse, decides to leave and go play with his buddies um, in Brooklyn. right? And I think this decision for him at the time was rooted in the fact that, look, everyone knows I'm one of the best players to ever be on the court. Uh, I have rings with other superstars. Maybe I can go over here to Brooklyn, be basically the guy over here and get my own rings and then really cement my legacy as a guy that's able to not only 
win in multiple places, but be able to win basically as him being the sole driving factor because that's something he could never do with Steph being in Golden State. He was the Warriors' golden child. He's the league golden child. He changed the game. I think Kevin Durant wanted to carve his name you know, permanently into the history books, and this was his way of doing so. And he could also play with his friends like Kyrie, James, all that in Brooklyn. And on paper, it looked like an awesome move. It really did for him. They had a superpower team or a superpower trio, it looked like. And it looked like he was going to cruise through the East and fight Golden State or fight other Western Conference teams for some more rings. But, you know, that obviously hasn't worked out. Um, but the main thing here um, is where is the scenario going to go? So it's going to go one of two ways, as we touched on earlier, right? One, he's going to meet with the owner. He's going to stand firm, keep his, basically, trade demand alive, and say, hey, I'm willing to sit out. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be traded or basically let go to another team. Um... I've been patient. You've been trying to make offers. I know the market's not there. A lot of it has to do with the teams knowing they have leverage over the situation that Kevin Durant doesn't want to be there. So if he really stands firm um, and basically says he doesn't want to play for the Nets moving forward, the Nets are in a really tough spot because you pretty much have to trade him at this point uh, if he's willing to sit out and willing to make drama for your team. And that just tells all the other teams that are trying to court Kevin Durant that they have even more leverage and they don't have to offer as much as Kevin Durant is worth. So, honestly, we'll see how the meeting plays out. I think Kevin Durant will stay firm, and it will make the Nets' lives, Josiah's life, more difficult. And teams are going to use that as leverage and try to get him to whatever it would be, Boston and whatnot, like we highlighted in previous episodes. But uh, option number two is Kevin Durant You know, has had some weeks to think about this. He looks around at his roster. Maybe Ben Simmons can help out on defense and stays healthy. Patty Mills is a great piece. Seth Curry, Kyrie, if his head's in the game, they're lethal together um, if they're both on the court. And maybe they have a real shot at building something in the East after all. And I think Kevin Durant, um, really it's just going to come down to where his head's at, right? Is he still of the sound body of mind saying, hey, I need to cement my legacy by winning a championship, basically doing my own thing? Or have I really abandoned that? And it seems like he has with his trade offer, trade request. As you see, his destinations are like Phoenix, Miami, Boston, like (laughs) Warriors, heck, like all teams that are basically going to win or be in contention for a title in the next couple of years. Um, So it's really going to come down to what Kevin Durant feels is most important. Does he want to win more rings or does he want to try to overcome this stigma about him that he can't win without Steph and do it on his own in Brooklyn, which I would have to tip my hat and give him credit because there's a lot of teams better than Brooklyn right now. Um, so if you were able to pull that together miraculously, I think you'd have to give him credit where credit is due, but interested to see how this is all going to play out. Um, this week we'll hear news, I'm sure by the end of the week, uh, after their meeting and it could really change the landscape of the NBA. Really interested to see how it turns out. Honestly, if I'm Kevin Durant, I'm swallowing my pride, (laughs) I think, and just demanding a trade. Honestly, I'd, you know, go back in a time machine and stay with Golden State if it were up to me. Uh, I never would have left. I mean, you can't hate just racking up rings. He definitely have more rings now than he does currently if he stayed with Golden State. Um, But you can't change the past. All you can do is look forward. And I'm really interested to see because there's really no predicting some of these guys in the NBA. There's no predicting Kevin Durant. There's no predicting Kyrie Irving and these guys. Like They have their own mantras, their own ideologies, their own set of values and importance. And really, we just have to wait and respond to their decision 
Whereas some other athletes, we can kind of predict, you know, what they may decide or how the situation may be play out. But um, in conjunction with this, ultimately the Lakers situation is still tied with them uh, in terms of landscape. You get AD back healthy, LeBron uh, healthy, hopefully, uh, for a full year. They should be back. The problem is, again, they can't move Russ. If you could offer them an out under the table, whatever it may be, they would get rid of Russ in a half second. A half second. You know, LeBron brought him in. It's partially his fault for doing so. But now they're kind of stuck with one of the worst contracts in the league. I think it's like 47 mil this year, which is part of the reason nobody wants him. Um, and also the fact that he can just not be an off-ball player in today's league. He just does not have the skill set to be an effective number two kind of off-ball guy. He's got to have the ball in his hands, and even then it gets ugly. And LeBron's also the kind of guy that he has to have the ball in his hands. So their their play styles just do not work. And I think ultimately they're still holding out hope that maybe Kyrie will come if the Kevin Durant situation goes a certain way or, you know, the winds blow a certain way with that situation. But I think the reality is the season creeps closer for the Lakers. And I think what keeps LeBron up at night is he's going to have to go another year with Russell Westbrook. And there's going to be turbulence, right? AD might get hurt again cause some problems uh, they don't have a lot of bench pieces to help them out at all um, it's going to be an ugly season it really is um, it's unfortunate but uh, Russell Westbrook looks like he's staying in the purple and gold uh, at least for the time being with the information that we have in front of us and I know that keeps LeBron up at night I know you know if you could get in a room with LeBron and he could tell you the truth I know for a fact he would ship Russ out even f- just for Kyrie in a second but Nets Seem smarter than that. They don't want that to happen. Um, they already have enough drama on their hands with Kevin Durant and their whole roster. Um, but again, uh, not totally surprised there's not a market for Russell. Has he seen time and time again moving multiple teams in multiple years where it just doesn't really work out? Um, a lot of times it's for contract relief with how big his contract is and how it helps out teams with the cap with moving and accepting him on their team. But nonetheless, his game is trending away from the league and really the style of play that Honestly, Steph Curry and the other guards kind of created. Um, While you see all these other teams getting better, I mean, same thing as the NFL. While we see all these other teams in the NBA getting better, championship teams, Boston, Bucks, like all these teams reloading with pieces, three-point shooters and D-guys, and you see like the Nets and the Lakers are just stuck up in this superstar drama, not getting better and dealing with so much more drama in the process. It's just not good for these teams, and... You know, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, they're both going to get a ton of attention from the media and the spotlight this year. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm stoked for the NBA season. Maybe not as much as the NFL. You know, I love the NFL. It's always got the most important place in my heart. But the NBA is going to be exciting as well, um, especially since the Sixers, I think, have a shot too, um, which is just a story for <laughs> a story for another day. Um, but that's all I wanted to say on the NBA drama. Um, excited to hear Kevin Durant's final choice this week and if Josiah, the Nets owner, is willing to kind of play ball with him or kind of play hardball and stick it out and say, hey, I signed you to basically a max contract when you had to sit out a year for the Achilles injury. We didn't know if you'd come back the same and you've only played 90 games in the last two years and now you want to trade and all this drama and how Kyrie fits in. It's just going to be a soap opera for the first few months of the season, depending on Kevin Durant's meeting this week. So really excited to tune into all that, but that's all we have for the NBA today. I want to transition over to the Miami Dolphins scandal.
This is a complicated six-month investigation that I really want to break down in three parts. It really, it really goes down to three, three aspects in my mind. You got tampering, tanking, and timing. The three T's. Right, we'll start with the tampering portion. So it came out yesterday that the Dolphins are going to be basically stripped of their 2023 first-round pick um, and their third-round pick for 2024 uh, for violations of league policies relating to tampering. So after six months, the owner, Stephen Ross, and Vice Chairman Bruce Beal were found to basically violate tampering policy on three occasions starting in 2019, um, both with quarterback Tom Brady, who was with the Patriots at the time, initially in 2019, and then uh, with the agent for uh, Sean Payton, who was the Saints coach at that time. Um, sparing most of the details, essentially started in 2019, called up Brady, had talks basically of him being the quarterback, and throughout the years also joining the ownership group, as we all heard that story a couple of months back at this point, while the investigation sort of unfolded. Um, they had the same agent, Don Yee, uh, you know, Sean Payton and Brady, and basically did the same offer to Payton and said, hey, uh, we want you over here, retire from the Saints, join us in a year, um, you'll have Brady, we have young talent, it'll be great. And, you know, all this aside, um, Ross is fined $1.5 million, the owner, and suspended through October 17th. Uh, he's not allowed to be in any meetings or any facilities or anything like that. And the vice chair um, got fined a little bit less, I think 500 k and is not allowed to be around any meetings for the whole year. Um, ultimately, when you look at it uh, from a tampering perspective, shameful action by the Dolphins, just shameful. I think this plan really would have come in place if um, then-coach at the time, Brian Flores, and some other things didn't arise. I think Brady and Peyton were, based off their actions, were both looking to do this. Right? Especially if Brady could get in the ownership group. They'd have one of the best coaches, the best quarterback. They have a bunch of weapons. They've had low draft picks in the past. It would have been great, honestly. And he could go back and kick Bill's butt twice a year. Would have been a great situation for them if it all worked out. But, as it often does, crap hits the fan. Shit gets out. And we hear all the details going on about the situation from a tampering perspective. Uh, really shameful stuff from the Dolphins owner here. And ultimately, he should be thanking his lucky stars because only being suspended until October 17th, only getting fined a million and a, like a million and a half bucks when your net worth is, you know, three, four billion. That's really nothing <laughs> like that's not a penalty at all. Um, so by the end of the end of the year, this is going to be basically a non story for him, although there were years of allegations and years of wrongdoings and um, tampering, anti tampering policy violations by owner Stephen Ross and the Dolphins. Um, so that aspect, I think they got off really, really easily. Um, they really did. And from a tampering perspective, I think it doesn't really set the tone for the rest of the league. Like, yeah, people keep an eye on this stuff, and there's rules and there's penalties, but um, Roger Goodell called it basically an unprecedented um, tampering violation uh, that he's never, ever seen this before. I think his exact quote I have here. Um, I know of no prior instance of a team violating the prohibition on tampering with both a head coach and a star player to the potential detriment of multiple other teams over a period of several years. Similarly, I know of no prior instance in which ownership was so directly involved in these violations. So, I mean, you're having the NFL come out saying, this is unprecedented, look at this, look at this, and then boom, 
another soft penalty from the NFL as they are so akin to doing with other situations. And I'm not saying this is the most egregious, most unprecedented thing to ever happen. I don't think it's as serious as the Deshaun Watson stuff, but it still violates the competitive integrity of the game and really sets a bad message for fans in the league moving forward that the only penalty for years of supposedly never been done before or unprecedented you know, severity of tampering is only a fine of a million and a half and a couple of months suspension. It's pretty bad, pretty terrible. But I hear a bunch of people saying, oh, what about Peyton? What about Brady? They were technically you know, tampered or tampered with. They should be fined, blah, blah, blah. Well, the NFL is set up with the last CBA that essentially states that players and coaches pretty much can't get penalized for tampering and that mainly it's on the owners and the teams um, that are allowing this tampering or facilitating it to happen that they're going to be the ones incurring penalties. So that's really what saved Peyton and Brady, not necessarily Goodell coming in on his white horse and saving them as well. Um, but in terms of a tampering standpoint, um, that's really all I wanted to say on that. It is what it is. It happened. We now know it's not just hearsay. It's an actual story. There was actually violations on multiple years, multiple occasions committed on superstar coaches and players involving multiple teams. And we know that this is the unprecedented penalty, a million and a half fine and a couple months suspension for a multi-billion dollar man and organization. So again, really soft ruling by the NFL, uh, but I can't be surprised, especially the recent events. Um... That have been going on with the Watson situation, although very different in um, facts and figures with that stuff. But wanted to move on to the second T of our little um, analogy here is uh, tanking. So the tanking aspect of this, right? A whole different ball, ball game, basically. So you guys know that um, back when Coach Brian Flores was let go and sort of the initial stuff was launched with all this, he was accusing the owner um, Stephen Ross of, you know, alleged racism through his lawsuit in the league's hiring practices, and also that Ross attempted to basically incentivize him to tank or lose games on purpose, um, starting in 2019, allegedly offering Coach Brian Flores 100k for every loss that season. Um, I even heard that, uh, I guess from Flores that. As the team kind of bounced back and won some games later in the season, the Dolphins GM Chris Greer told him that the owner was mad that his on-field success was compromising the team's draft position. Um, you know, as this all played out, we thought we'd get more justice for Brian Flores, more justice for anti-tanking, and it seems like that whole thing was left out of the equation. Um, yes, they did get some minor fines for the tampering aspect, but in terms of the tanking, we had some evidence here, um, and nothing really came of it. No extra penalties for Stephen Ross or the Dolphins. And again, really just sets the precedent that the NFL doesn't really care <laughs> about tanking, right? Um, it really tends to side with the owners and the organizations more than players and coaches with this kind of stuff. Um, and and really the whole the whole tanking idea, you know, tank for Tua, we all heard it for what seemed like years. <laughs> which kind of is a whole different story of how that'll actually work out and if that was actually worth it. But, um, you know, the Dolphins, they're losing a first-round pick from all this tampering stuff, not from the tanking allegations, but from tampering. And um, they still have another first-round pick. Remember, they got that extra pick from the Trey Lance Niners deal um, in that draft. So they still have a first-round pick, and just losing that third pick 
the following year in 2024 for the tampering allegations or violations. Um, but that's where they stopped the tanking, the tanking talk, right? They're just allegations. They weren't considered violations. And again, the NFL is telling you what is important to them. Um, you know, tanking is not necessarily a thing that's good for the league, but if teams want to do it and they think that's in their best interest, and you know, as long as it's not just floridly obvious and they can, you know, they can basically get away with it. And obviously I hate the idea of tanking, you know, as a fan, when your team's terrible, um, honestly, tanking kind of seems like a good idea. It gives you some hope. I understand that aspect of it, but it's really bad for the league, right? Um, you want all the teams to be competitive and try their best every week to make for the best product. You want every team to try to win a Super Bowl, basically, even though when that's out of the realm for most teams. Uh, and tampering just ruins, or excuse me, uh, tanking just ruins the integrity of the game, in my opinion. Um, and to have both of these things happening under Stephen Ross's guard or under his roof, essentially, and to only be fined a couple of months or um, you know a million five in a couple of months from no team meetings is honestly just pretty disgraceful. Um, but ultimately, I think Brian Flores gets some justice here and regains some of his reputation in the coaching world for doing the hard thing, standing up against the money, standing up against the ownership, and really fighting this with lawsuits and letters and whatnot, and standing up for what was right and what he believed in. Um, he's a guy that believes in the integrity of the game. He believes in winning. Um, believes in trying your best even when the chips are down. And regardless of his time and his coaching tactics, uh, he's earned a little bit more of my respect for that regard. Um, it's a hard situation to be on a bad team, and the owner up top is telling you to lose on purpose, and he's going to give you extra money to do so. Um, I don't know if I would have made the same decision, so I applaud him for continuing to win, basically calling him out, calling out the money, um, and trying to get justice for not himself, but maybe other coaches or other organizations um, in the league. And ultimately, nothing really came of it, other than hopefully we use this as an example to learn from next time and basically do better. Honestly, the NFL just needs to do better. And it really brings me to my third point, the third T, uh, timing, right? Timing is so crucial in everything that we do, especially with these big money organizations and big media, right? Think about the timing of this investigation. Six months of investigating, and we don't hear a whole lot about it the whole time. Six months. Then, when do we hear the final rulings? When do we hear everything decided? Oh, <laughs> that's convenient. Oh, that's unique. Oh, I didn't think it would be. That's so random. A day or two after the Deshaun Watson decision? Not even? Like, same day? And now this, this story is dominating the cycle over the Watson situation? I mean, talk about a win for the NFL. Talk about, <laughs> talk about perfect timing. I feel like nobody is talking about the timing in the situation. Like, you have this come out, right? It's been a six-month investigation. You could have waited a week. You could have done it last. Like, there's multiple times you could have released this, but you decide to wait until after the pushback, the blowback from some pretty wild Deshaun Watson news, which which obviously have much more serious consequence, consequences, allegations, stuff like that than just tampering and tanking. But nonetheless, the Dolphins scenario situation is a big story. And while not equal to the Deshaun Watson crimes, you know, it still eats up news. It's still a story. And I think the NFL knows what they're doing in terms of timing. And honestly, <laughs> it's cynical, but I tip my hat to them. The timing is perfect 
from a, a you know a public relations standpoint um, to kind of give this story right after the controversial Deshaun Watson ruling and take some pressure off that situation after the initial blowback. Um, of course, the Watson scenario will regain steam as we hear, you know, does either side, Watson or Goodell, uh, basically challenge the six-game ruling, try to go for more, try to go for less. Um, so it will gain some more steam, but to stop the initial huge blowback of that situation by a story like this, um, the NFL did what they do best. Um, they did a great job. Timing was absolutely perfect. Um from their standpoint, from the media, from the social pushback, and, you know, they really did it right with this situation, so, um, those are my three T's, tampering, tanking, and timing, and, you know, lots of allegations there, lots of violations there, and ultimately, moral of the story is, timing couldn't have been better for the NFL, they absolutely planned this, without a doubt, uh, to be dropped after the story of Watson, but, you know, more importantly, too, you see what the NFL cares about, again, um, multiple violations in, involving the integrity of the game, and really no penalties. It's funny, right? They call gambling, um, you know, an egregious violation of, you know, the integrity of the competitive spirit of the game. And like we talked about, no judge, no jury, just boom, one year for Ridley. And I understand you can't have players betting on the games. I'm totally against that as well. I, I get the whole aspect of it, but. <laughs> it's funny. This situation takes six months to play out. It is a direct violation. I would argue to a much greater level than simply a fifteen hundred dollar like seven leg parlay that wasn't going to win anyways um, for Calvin Ridley. <laughs> um, and they have actual evidence of multiple years of tampering and basically tanking. Um, I would say that's much more of an indictment on the competitive spirit, competitive integrity of the league than a fifteen hundred dollar parlay but um nonetheless both violations of competitive integrity in my opinion but it's just funny to see how the nfl reacts to one versus the other essentially and just telling you that once again it is the nfl it is an entertainment business it is a money-making business and do they care about the fans yes but they don't care about the fans because of our emotions <laughs> they care about the fans because of our money so again money's the root here Follow the money, it'll give you the idea or the, the motive behind most stories. Um, but again, interesting to see how the Watson and the Dolphins situation will play out, if they'll have more pushback on the Dolphins scenario. But I suspect that you know this will pretty much be the end of it. You know Brady and Peyton get on off clean from the CBA agreement. Um, no penalties for them. Dolphins with slaps on the wrist. Um, the Dolphins are just really consigned with the noise if Tua elevates with his increased arsenal of weapons and make some noise in that division, and no one's really going to care about this story anymore. Um, and as far as the Watson thing, again, that will pick up steam as the season goes on. But for now, the NFL had a win. The NFL won. Um, so I tip my hat to them for this PR move, this timing move. Um, but again, I think they handled the situation disgracefully as usual, uh, which is not surprising at all. We're going to jump right into fan mail here. Uh, first question Hey, love the pod. Uh, real quick question from a Cowboys fan's perspective. Uh, just saw that James Washington fractured his foot. He's going to be out anywhere from 6 to 10 weeks. What do you see them doing with making a move for another wide receiver, especially since it feels like they're just rolling forward with CeeDee Lamb and hoping that he turns into a star, and then Noah Brown and their tight ends? Um, really concerning from a Cowboys fan. I really hope they go out and make a move. Thanks. 
Uh, well, great question. And <laughs> you know I love talking Cowboys. Um, but yeah, James Washington out six to ten weeks, fractured foot. Um, would have been a nice pickup for them. They lost two of their receivers in, you know, Cooper and some other speed, Wilson. Um, and now really it just left basically with C.D. Lamb. And from what Jerry's saying and what some of the Cowboys people in the organization are saying, they're talking about just basically hoping that C.D. Lamb takes the next step and becomes a top five wide receiver. And they just force feed him the ball like all day. So, you know, as a fan, uh, I, I do like C.D. Lamb. Uh, I'm not happy that he's a cowboy necessarily, but he's a great player, and I think he's going to have a great career. He's really fun to watch. He was at Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts. Like, they were amazing together. Uh, I think he's going to have a really good career in the NFL. The problem with force-feeding a wide receiver, <laughs> okay, um, that may work in the regular season. All right, Dak's going to have more picks, uh, more incompletions because of that, but ultimately CeeDee Lamb would have more targets, more catches, more yards, more touchdowns. Make CD look better. I get it. But we look at the most recent example, at least that I can think of, the Packers with Devontae Adams. Cruising through the regular season. Just peppering defenses, catches, yak, touchdowns, all day long. What happens when they get to the playoffs? What happens? Teams key in on the star receiver. They key in on Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams is a much better receiver than C.D. Lamb is. Much better receiver. Like, don't get it twisted. But um, they're force-feeding Devontae Adams in the playoffs. Packers have a chance to win the playoff game with wide-open Lazard across the middle. Instead, he force-feeds to Devontae. They lose the game. There's consequences to only having one star receiver and force-feeding him all year. When you get to the playoffs... They're all good teams. They've been studying you for weeks. They are going to take away your number one strength and force you to use your other weaknesses, essentially, or use something that's not your most valuable asset. Okay. Now, there may be times where they break down and you can find Devontae Adams or you can find CeeDee Lamb, but the majority of the game, they're going to focus all their energy on stopping or limiting those guys and forcing you to win other ways. This strategy does not work, plain and simple. Does not work. Absolutely not. The Cowboys rolling forward, hoping their young guys can step up. I understand that aspect, having faith in the draft process, faith in your scouts, faith in your draft picks. I get it. But to roll forward saying you're just going to force feed CD and it's going to be fine, <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, sounds like Jerry Jones to me, <laughs> Right? Like, this is the Dallas Cowboys, baby. Dallas Cowboys. You know, we got C.D. Lamb, heck of a young wide receiver. We're going to force feed him the ball. He's going to be one of the best receivers in the league. He's going to carry us right into the playoffs, and we're going to win We're going to win Super Bowl. That's Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys right there for you. Um, ultimately, I hope C.D. does take the next step. He's fun to watch. Um, and ultimately, you know, his success is tied to Dak, who we know is a well-established QB in the league, especially for being a fourth-round pick. A really cool story with him there. Um, but I think the Cowboys are in real trouble, to answer your question. I think they really need to go out and get a move, or um, excuse me, make a move for a wide receiver. And I think this really leads into my next question that I got um, in the fan mail. Um, actually, multiple people sent you know a version of this question in, and basically saying, where is OBJ going to end up, right? Is he going to stay, stay with the Rams, uh, or is he going to go to another team? So I think... 
you know, the Cowboys could really benefit from picking up a guy like OBJ. Obviously, won't be ready for kickoff. Um, it'll be like winter time till he's ready after his second ACL on the same knee. Um, assuming he comes back just as explosive, just as good, he's going to be great. I mean, you saw what he could do with a competent quarterback. Uh, we saw in Cleveland with Baker, obviously just <laughs> not a good quarterback, not able to get him the ball effectively. Uh, you see him go with the Rams, some other weapons around him, and he was great. I mean, if he didn't get injured in the Super Bowl and kept playing, who knows what his final stats would have been, but I know that he would have been able to get a bigger deal than he was on. Um, so I do feel bad for him personally. Um but the Cowboys could really benefit from somebody like OBJ, especially a big personality like OBJ. Um, but from OBJ's perspective, he's really got to make a decision. What's most important to him? Seriously. What's most important to him? Does he want to be on a team like the Rams, you know, one of the Super Bowl contending teams, and, and be in the spotlight on the biggest stages, helping contribute to win a ring potentially every year? on a contending squad or does he want to go to a team you know another team like maybe like the Ravens or the Packers um, and be on a good team but really be their option be their guy basically force himself back into the conversation of star elite receiver if everything went well you know maybe at the sacrifice of not being on a complete roster a competitive team to win a ring and I think OBJ honestly has kind of changed his whole persona right? He came into the league. He had that amazing catch. Uh, I think it was against Dallas um, on Sunday night football. Crazy. Y'all remember it on that right pylon in the back of the end zone. One hit with like two fingered catch. Crazy. And really burst into the limelight following that, you know, that catch. Obviously was good at LSU and came into the league and had one of the best starts, you know, for a rookie and a young receiver that we've seen in recent years. Um, obviously has dealt with some health issues, which have kind of held him back, but overall he's still a very dangerous receiver if he's healthy and at the top of his game and any team would love to have him. But I really want to just kind of go over his career, right? Like he goes from LSU to New York and he's just one of the biggest, like he, he has some of the most following. It's like Tom Brady and him. He, he has so many people here and abroad following him, watching his game. He has such a big social media influence bigger than most other players in the league. I mean, he went from his New York days, flying over to Paris, doing sketchy stuff in Paris hotel rooms, uh, <laughs> went to Cleveland, obviously thought it would be better there with, with his buddy Jarvis uh, in the Browns roster, and we all know who that played out with his dad too, and basically forcing him out, and kind of a messy situation overall, but you couldn't have written a better ending, minus the, <laughs> minus the ACL tear, obviously, but... Um, goes to a Super Bowl contending team, not only wins the Super Bowl, but he's an absolute star. He was on his way to be the MVP of the Super Bowl in that first half with two touchdowns, and then he goes down with that just devastating to see injury. Um, so I, I hope he comes back stronger than ever, but I really wanted to give him credit, honestly. You know, he was in a tough situation, tons of people watching his every move, Gets you know ships his, ships himself out of Cleveland, goes to the Rams, and really steps in and says, "Hey, I may not be the Odell Beckham Jr. I may not be the guy here." Okay, Cooper Cup, Stafford, McVay. There's tons of stars in LA. Tons. They're all over the field on both sides. He swallowed his pride. He went out there. He played hard every snap, and it paid off for him. He was an elite receiver. 
in at least in doses in in patches with Matt Stafford and ultimately was a big reason why they won that Super Bowl. He really was. So I, I want to tip my hat to him. I haven't always been his biggest fan, um, but I got to say the way he's been kind of conducting himself recently has been a nice breath of fresh air and really goes to show you that guys can change when they fit into the right culture. And I think, you know, his mindset is, you know, I got a taste of the limelight. Yeah, I want my money. Yeah, I want my my fandom, my superstardom, but I want a ring. Nobody can take that back, and I contributed. I would have been the MVP of the game. I wasn't just on the roster. I was making plays. And I think that he wants to be in a place from here on out that gives him that spotlight and gives him the chance to win another ring. And I hear all these teams being thrown out. Ravens, Packers, Cowboys, Chiefs, Rams. Like all these teams being thrown out. And ultimately it comes down, you know, like we said, to one of two things. Does he want to go to a team and kind of like New York or Cleveland where he has all the all the cameras on him at all times? He's the biggest star on the field at all times. Um, maybe gets better compensation there, but ultimately has much less production and a much worse shot at winning another ring. Or does he like what he tasted with the Rams and say, hey, I can fit in on these good teams. Maybe I'm not the biggest star on the team, but when the when the lights are the brightest, when the moment's the biggest, I've proven that I can step up, make plays, and help my team win a ring. And what I want is that level of fame, that level of limelight, and I want another ring. That's really his decision. And if if that's his ideology, maybe he wants Rams, you know, Rams again if they can work it out, or Chiefs, or Bills, or one of these big teams, versus going to maybe the Packers who might not have as good a shot, or the Cowboys, or even the Ravens might be limited with Lamar, stuff like that. Maybe make a little bit more money, but almost sacrifice your chance to get a ring. And obviously, I think there's a lot of teams that want Odell, even with his injury history. He brings you revenue. He brings you media. Um, and if he's playing well, he brings you wins. He brings you tubs. So honestly, if I'm a good team in the championship window, I'm doing this deal. I'm doing this deal. He's not the kind of guy that you need to play 17 games, carry you through a regular season like he would on the Cowboys or some of these other teams. If you get him on the Chiefs or back on the Rams... You let him take his time, get back, play the last you know half of the season, and roll into the playoffs healthy and ready to go and have another scary guy for defenses to lose sleep over at night before the game, before kickoff. How can you not want that on your team? He's no longer a distraction. He's not. He used to be a distraction. He was in New York, big market New York. It was a distraction. He was He was a distraction at times. Cleveland, with Baker and all that, he was a distraction. Baker was a distraction. It was a clown show. And he went to the Rams. He wasn't a distraction. He shut up for a little bit, fit right in, worked hard, and look what happened. So I think he learned from that situation. And ultimately, I think he'd like to come back to the Rams. But if not, he wants to play for a superstar quarterback and a contending team to do that again. And I wish nothing but the best for him, and I really hope that he does do that. Where do I see him ending up? (laughs) That's such a tough question, which is why you haven't really heard a whole lot of convicting takes or news on this kind of, you know, playing out in Odell's uh, life. But I think, I think the Rams, honestly, if you could just get him on a cheaper deal, 
if he's willing to do that. I think that's in their best interest. Honestly, he fit in so well there. I think that'd be the best fit. But I'm looking at the Bills, the Chiefs, other contenders rather than like, you know, Cowboys, Patriots, Ravens, like that kind of stuff. Um, So I suspect him to be basically gobbled up by one of these teams at some point here in the next couple of weeks, whether he works something out with the Rams, um, gives Andy and Veach um, in Kansas City a call, or maybe even Buffalo, or honestly, a random team along this line of thought, which kind of sounds freaking crazy if you talk about it, but are we sure the Bucks wouldn't want OBJ? Like, are we sure? And you go, Austin, come on, come on, man. They got Chris Godwin coming back when healthy. They got Mike Evans. Um, they got, you know, Julio Jones. They got all these weapons, Russell Gage. They got people everywhere. How can they put an OBJ on the roster? And it's like, well, it's Tom Brady, and you make it freaking happen. <laughs> like, that's that's how you get him on the roster. You're, you're telling me that Odell wouldn't want to play with Tom Brady? Bull. Bull. That he is absolutely picking up the phone if Brady calls, hundred percent. And if I'm Tom Brady, I'm giving him a call. I really am. Um, I think he would fit in well there, even with the other personalities and a bunch of mouths to feed. Because there's a lot of injury-prone guys on that roster: Julio, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and obviously Odell would fit under that tab as well. But that ensures you that you have multiple dynamic weapons come down the stretch of the season playoff time. If one of those guys were to go down, like if Mike Evans were to go down, you still have Godwin, Julio, OBJ. I mean, what are you doing if, you know, Godwin doesn't progress back as smoothly or Evans goes down or Julio gets hurt, which seems like it's bound to happen? You want a guy in there. Another star for Brady to keep you in contention. And I think the Bucks are still a contender. I don't know. I like I like the Rams. I like the Rams, Chiefs, Bills, or Bucks to be his destination rather than going to some of these lesser teams that maybe are good uh, but really need help at wide receiver, like the Packers, Cowboys, Ravens, to make them into a contender. But even then, I still don't see them beating these actual contending teams uh, like the Rams, Chiefs, Bills, and Bucks. So um, I think the Bucks would be <laughs> I think the Bucks would be absurd. <laughs> Honestly, I would love to see that happen. Seriously. Um, see if him and Brady can kind of um, get get basically production out of Odell and let him go into the playoffs on a competitive team. Um, I think that would be great to see. So I kind of hope selfishly as a fan that that happens <laughs> so we can kind of see Brady with a new toy um, and see if Odell can continue to revive his career you know, post another injury, um, which I really hope that he does. Last question of the pod here. Uh, closing it up here on Wednesday with, of course, a birds question. Love it. Keep them firing. I'm always here to answer any NFL, NBA, or any life question, whatever you guys want, but love me some Eagles talk. Um, question is, I've been hearing a lot of positive reports out of camp for the Eagles that Jalen Hurts is doing a pretty good job, that A.J. Brown looks like the number one receiver basically since Terrell Owens in you know the green uniform. So what do you think? Uh, the outlook is for the Eagles this year in terms of can they win the East or can they even win the NFC and represent them in the Super Bowl? <laughs> That's funny, dude. I, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, every time I think the Eagles are gonna be really good, they really disappoint me. 
<laughs> okay. Remember the dream team with Nandi and all those guys, Vince Young and like all these guys, and they sucked. <laughs> like with Chip Kelly, it was terrible. Um, and every time I, I don't have high expectations, they fight and they're pretty good and they usually make the playoffs and make some noise. So trying to keep all that in mind, but to be honest with you, I'm drinking the juice. <laughs> like I think I think the Eagles are going to be good. Like <laughs> I really do, which again is frightening because every time I think this, they flame out. But um, I agree. I mean, from what I heard, um, A.J. Brown is looking sharp. Man, he's looking sharp. And with Devonta Smith, Quez, not high expectations for Rager, <laughs> but Dallas Goddard, their backfield with their rotation of backs led by Miles. Honestly, I'm amped. <laughs> I'm amped up for this offense, dude. I'm I'm amped up. They're in a weaker division. The Cowboys, if anything, if they didn't get worse, they at least stayed the same. They definitely did not get better this offseason. Um they have a really strong chance. I think they should be favored to win the division, to be honest with you. Um, I'm really excited to see what they can do. So, you know, so what? They win the division. That division flip-flops for the last 20 years. It's not a big deal. Um, how do you see them doing against the powerhouses in the playoffs, right? Um, I'd be more concerned if they're in the AFC, but they're not. They're in the NFC. So they're facing, you know, a Packers team without a number one weapon. Obviously, they'll be good. Um you know, some other wild card teams mixed in there. But the real powerhouses, uh, Tampa, uh, who kind of embarrassed them last year in the playoffs, um, and the Rams, obviously being the favorites uh, with the Bucks. Um, depending who they draw in the playoffs, if they get hot at the right time, they can absolutely represent the NFC. And I'm going to get a lot of pushback from this, <laughs> for sure. Uh, definitely buying in, definitely biased. But um, I think their offense is going to be sweet. And... If Jalen Hurts can just be okay, just take one more step in the right direction, just every time he takes a step forward just to not take two steps back, if he can just continue to progress and continue to lead the team and work hard, they have weapons. Their offensive line is good. Their receivers are good. They have a good tight end. They have good backs. It's just going to be a question of can Jalen Hurts elevate to a contending level quarterback? Can he use his arm and his legs? to propel the Eagles to represent the NFC? That's the big question mark that, honestly, I can only speculate. I can't answer that question right now. Based off what I saw last year, I'm concerned. The Bucks defense has a good pass rush. They have a good defense. They embarrassed the Eagles offense, embarrassed them last year in the playoffs. It was terrible. Terrible game to watch. Um, Jalen Hurts kept fighting until the end, but it was just bad. But now, your own line's healthy. Your backs are healthy. Devonta Smith has another year under his belt. Quez is stepping into his own. Goddard's going to be a beast. And you have a true number one wide receiver to not only help Jalen Hurts, but to just take pressure off the other guys, right? It's going to open up opportunities for these two, three, four wide receivers to make plays, which is ultimately how you have a dynamic offense. So from the offensive perspective, obviously all rides on Jalen Hurts. Do they have the potential to beat the NFC powerhouses with their offense? I believe they do, but they're going to have to prove it to me first. Absolutely prove it to me first. From the defensive side, I'm, I'm equally as excited. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm so excited. Uh, Fletcher getting to play with basically a superhero of college football and Jordan Davis in terms of just size, 
that you just cannot find. <laughs> He's huge, dude. He's huge. Him with Fletcher Cox, the teams are not going to be able to run the football, or at least they should not be able to run the football. I will be very upset if we cannot stop the run. Um, force teams into longer downs, longer third downs, passing obvious passing situations um, is only going to help the defense and help the corners. And ultimately, what does it come down to in defense in this league? Obviously not getting penalties, but what does it come down to? You see it with where the money is. What is most important in the NFL on defense? It's the pass rush. It's the pass rush. So what did the Eagles do? They bolstered up the D-line. They went and got some help with pass rusher. Granted, they don't have the most elite pass rushers in the league, but they have good players. Good players. Hassan, BG, Healthy. Oh, I can't wait to watch BG Healthy again. Um, Their D-line is stacked. Their defense is going to be better, and so is their offense. So when you have a team on both sides of the ball that they're going to be better than last year and they were already a playoff team, you have a chance to propel yourself into contention to represent your conference in the Super Bowl. Right? I know it seems far-fetched. I know the Rams and the Bucks are the obvious powerhouses, um, and the Eagles have, you know, in recent years struggled with playing some of those teams, but you can't help but not be excited as an Eagles fan. And I'm not going to shut it down. I'm not here to say, you know, they're not going to win the division. They're not going to be good. That might be the case, but I'm a glass-half-full guy. Glass half full guy, okay? So I like the Eagles in this spot. I really do. I like them in their weak division. The Cowboys, traditional favorites, didn't get any better. Uh, the NFC is pretty much wide open with the exception to two of those guys. So really excited to see how that plays out. But um, I think the Eagles have actually a real shot as the season moves forward. We'll definitely get some more info on that. And I may be eating crow. So who knows? Um, but keep the questions firing in the fan mail. Love answering them on the show. Love hearing your input. Uh, share with your friends, your family, um, and just keep spreading the joy of sports. It's what we're all here for. Um, kind of some more depressing topics with Watson and the Dolphins this past you know couple of days, weeks. Um, but as the season goes forward, optimism will be in the air. There's going to be great football, great basketball, great college football. Better times ahead, people. Keep your head up. Have a good rest of your week. I'll be with you here in a couple of days with a new pod. Um, excited to hear more from you in the fan mail, all right? Everyone have a good one. Peace.